right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Whoa, breaking news off the top here today. Holy cow. Oh, my goodness. Um, the actual tractor driven by Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams just sold at an auction for $80,000. Really? I thought you yeah, were going to be I like, know, oh, it's okay, overpriced. It's too much. Coach. It's too much for an overrated movie. That's explosive. Field of Dreams overrated. Yeah, I'm cool that, with that. That drives you crazy. That no, I think it's, I, you, I, you are beside yourself. I think it's kind of boring. It is boring. The Natural, I'm okay. The Natural is a, a decent movie. Field of Dreams, hor- like. Uh, horribly overrated. It's not a horrible movie, but it's so overrated. Uh, field of Dreams, more like Field of Nightmares. <laughs> field of Dreams because it's putting me to sleep. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's one of those movies that sports people always say, like, oh, it's a classic. Okay. You ever hear somebody who's not a sports nut talk about Field of Dreams being a great movie? They one guy, one person is like, I don't really like sports, but Field of Dreams, now that's a classic. It never happens. Because there's just this weird sort of thing with sports fans where you constantly are rating like the best sports movies. And I have a, a take that maybe even more explosive than the fact that Field of Dreams is overrated. And it's just that most sports movies aren't that good because sports in general are unpredictable. Sports movies are the exact opposite of that. Very seldom does the team that you want to win lose. So if they lose, that automatically becomes like a top sports movie. No, too. because then if you make the team oh lose, then I'm like, oh, you're trying too hard. You had <laughs> There's to be nothing different. Like, so they need exactly. to tie. They have Ex- to tie. Exactly. Well, sports are all about winning or losing. There are two possible outcomes. In every other movie, there's a million possible outcomes. You know, anything is there though? I-, I mean, when you're when you're watching, you know, Godzilla versus Kong, do you come out of that thinking that But it's how you get there. It's how you get there. Because I don't want to spoil Godzilla versus Kong. Okay, but, but uh, that was no. not the way the end the way I thought it was okay, going to be. Okay, what end. about like superhero movies? Cuz I like superhero movies. Spoiler but you know alert, what's going to happen? The superhero is going to win at the think, end, right? Did you think that that Superman was going to die at the end of that one movie? I didn't watch it. Okay. Well, see, Superman sucks. Now you're butt No, showing. you know why? You know why? Okay, so I actually, maybe I'm getting on board with you here. I don't like the Superman movie, which this is super stupid because I do like the other superhero movies, which they win as well. But with Superman, it's like, oh, okay, you have super strength. You can't die. You shoot lasers out of your eyes. Cool. You're never going to die. You know? Mm-hmm. But I guess he did, according to you. I don't know. Well, not the re- not the most recent one. He died in the movie that came out years ago, so I don't feel like I'm spoiling it for anyone. $80,000, though, for the tractor that Kevin Costner drove in Field of Dreams. The actual tractor. And it's just Does a regular... It work? 
It's just a regular John Deere tractor. Like, it just looks like any tractor that you would see some farmer driving if you drive literally 15 minutes south of here. Yeah, but is it like a... Like, if you if you told somebody this is the actual factor from Field of Dreams, they're going to say, are you sure? Because it just looks like a John Deere tractor. Is there any piece of memorabilia that you would pay a ridiculous amount of money for? 80000 well, it wouldn't have to be 80000 but it's all relative to what you're buying. Like, tractors in general are not cheap, so you have to pay a good amount of money for a tractor to begin with. You're paying a little bit extra for the Kevin Costner juice. Any piece of movie memorabilia ever, what stands out? Hmm. I've always wanted, when I was a little kid, I really wanted the, fl- the flashy light things from uh, Men in Black. I can't remember what they're Ooh, called. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. They don't actually work, though, right? Yeah, when I was a kid, though, I thought they did. I thought that was a real piece of technology that we I remember possessed. as a kid, they had, like, a promotion going on at some fast food joint. It might have been, like, Burger King or something, where they were giving those away. And, like, I just, I, I don't think I'd, like, ever been to Burger King, but it's like, I want to go to Burger King. Like, I need it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I got a I got a Flintstones mug from McDonald's once, a glass one. Wow. It was tight. Yeah, it was really cool. I don't know. I never really got tied. Like, there's either there's like the cliche ones that come to mind that I don't actually think I'd really about be like in, the like the whip from uh, from Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones, like Harry Potter's wand. What about the the poster from Shawshank Redemption that covers up the hole? Oh, of the of the hot lady. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. But you could probably just buy that. <laughs> and they ripped the poster in the movie, so by you default, want the ripped one. Get it framed. Yeah, get it pieced back like together. Piece, yeah. And frame, but the only way you can do that and make it really cool if you're in your house is if you actually have a hole behind it too. <laughs> you have to have a secret tunnel. <laughs> you have to have a secret tunnel behind the poster. What what made you think that I was gonna break some sort of KU football news? I don't know. You said breaking news off the top. That is breaking news. It just happened. So I can only break KU news on this show. Well, I, that's I the uh... that's the the corner that you're backing me into. I'd, I'd rather just, how about we leave out $80,000 tractor sales? Can we do that? I can't imagine it'll ever come up again. So sure. No, probably not. I'm willing to agree to that. No, still no news. Still no update on who KU's next football coach is going to be. It does feel like we're coming down the home stretch here. And I do think we'll get an announcement this week. I do. A uh, report earlier today, you know, yesterday the reports came out that uh, Dennis Dodd and Adam Rittenberg of ESPN were reporting that KU had zeroed in on four candidates. Two of them, of no surprise, Lance Leipold of Buffalo, Jeff Munkin of Armin. The other two, a little bit surprising. You had Skip Holtz, the head coach of Louisiana Tech, and the big surprise was Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, who was sort of thought to be an up-and-comer and Maybe you take the KU job now or you wait a year and then all of a sudden better jobs available in the next hiring cycle. Well, report came down earlier today that Mike Elko has pulled his name out of the conversation. And generally speaking, when somebody pulls their name out of the running, it's because they know they're not getting it. And by the way, that report was from Matt Zinitz, who is a SEC football reporter for Alabama.com. Now, maybe maybe Mike Elko really did decide he didn't want to be the head coach at Kansas, but you did the interviews, you went through the process, you were one of the finalists, and that's when you decide to remove your name? Like, 
I would think at this point, if KU had zeroed it down to finalists, it's because, okay, I hope our finalists are guys who are taking this seriously, who really want it. You know, I remember that was something that Jeff Long had talked about when he hired Les Miles. Like, he wanted to make sure that the candidates were people who were serious about the job and not just people who were using it as leverage to get a raise wherever they're at. Maybe that's what happened here with Mike Elko. But I would think if they were thorough in their search, which it seems like they have been, the four finalists were people who wanted it. So I'm, on the surface level, not buying the idea that Mike Elko said today, I'm removing my name from consideration. I think it's because Mike Elko knows he's not getting the job. Now, that doesn't mean he knows who is, but you can pro- if you're in the middle of a hiring process, you can probably sense if interest starts to fade a little bit from the people who are contacting you and conducting these interviews. Yeah, I think that applies. I, I, I don't think he was going to get it to begin with, but I also think there's a part of you, too, that, um, you know, when, when it's one of these guys who are already head coaches, whether, I don't know, even in, in the case of Skip Holtz, if you get the Kansas job and it doesn't work out, which... You know, for a lot of coaches, that's been the case. You still have that past record to look back on that you can go out to the next job that's open. It'll obviously be a lower-end job and say, hey, no, hire me back. I just wasn't a fit for there, but, like, clearly I've shown in the past I did wonders with this other school. Perfect example, Turner Gill. You know, Turner Gill uh, didn't have, like, a great career at Buffalo. It was mainly just one season, but it was enough for him, even after he got yeah. fired at Kansas, to go out and get another job. And he was at Liberty, and, you know, they have, like, a winning record and stuff before he retires. Um, That would be the case, I think, with any of those three other guys. You know, if Skip Holtz doesn't turn Kansas around and he got the job, which I don't think he would, but just hypothetically, he would leave the job and some smaller school would come hiring, you know? That's not the case necessarily when you're a coordinator. That would be your first head coaching job. You wouldn't have that other past success to where – like David Beatty. David Beatty has never been a head coach before he was at Kansas. I would be shocked if David Beatty ever, at least at the Division One level, got another head coaching gig because of what happened to Kansas. But had he had prior head coaching success somewhere else, he probably would have. And maybe there's a part of you, too, that thinks with Mike Elko, that's the case. He's going, I can wait around. A&M, you know, we're building, bringing all these big recruits with Jimbo Fisher and stuff. I'm going to have another good defense, I'm sure, next year in the SEC. I'll take a different job. One that I feel like the floor's higher to where, you know, if it doesn't work out, at least I still go five and seven, six and six, where I can reclimate my head coaching career, even if I don't get a extension or do well in that job. Yeah, and that's where, you know, Lance Leipold and Jeff Munkin, you know, it's funny, I was looking up something earlier today when Tom Keegan, uh, when he was with the Lawrence Turner World back in 2018, when KU was looking for a head coach, he did a piece, and he listed off a bunch of names. I think he gave 17 names. of, And it wasn't just like, these are the guys who KU was going after. It was simply, these are candidates. These are guys who would be good hires or could be good hires. Lance Leipold, Jeff Munkin, Willie Fritz were all named in that list. Can you imagine where KU would be had Jeff Long hired them? And as somebody astutely pointed out to me on Twitter, I think it was uh, Rock Chuck Talk who said, well, Jeff Long would still have a job, so maybe it's not the worst. I, you know what? I would, if Jeff Long had made that hire, we wouldn't hate him. Why we wouldn't have said he did a terrible job at Kansas? So, in hindsight, maybe that wouldn't have been the worst thing. But to your point, if either one of those guys, with the jobs that they've done at 
not just at their current jobs at Buffalo and Army, but what they did at their stops before that. With Munkin, it was uh, Georgia Southern, and with uh, uh, Leipold, it was Mil- uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. Yeah. They just go back to that level. If they were at Kansas for two or three years and it didn't work out, they would just go back to that level. Because they've proven to be quality head coaches. Not, uh, you know, puddle jumpers who just go from one place to the next. They've stuck around at the places they've been. And they went to places at Buffalo, at Army, that did not have a track record for success. That were much like the spot that Kansas is in. Thought of as black holes where coaches go to die. And they went there and won. The fact that either one of them, let alone both of them, are interested in this position is very fortunate for Kansas. Is very Because as bad as people want to talk about Kansas being, the fact that you get to choose between two guys who people are talking about, you better hire them now because they may not be available the next hiring cycle. And I don't know if that's the truth. But the fact that people think of them that highly and I know uh, Stuart Mandel, who writes for The Athletic, he said these are both top 25 coaches in the country. That's just one man's opinion. But with the jobs that they've done, I don't think that that is you know, outside of the realm of possibility. And they both are interested in this job. This is a good dilemma to be in. Because I think that's, I don't, I don't know if there's been a decision made yet, honestly. It feels like, you know, you're on day 51, 51, which is crazy but it's also not really 51 days because you had to go hire an athletic director first. You didn't have to, but that's the route that KU chose, and it's really tough to fault them for it. But it's been 51 days without a permanent head coach. And I know people are getting a little impatient, and it does feel like a decision is coming. But I just wonder, like, what is going on right this second? What is going on today? Does Travis Goff know? Has he made a decision on who the next guy is going to be? Is it simply, like, is it like that scene, you know, the scene in the office where Michael's gone and Dwight and Jim have to have the bonuses and they're walking around trying to figure out who they're going to give the bonuses to and they have the pictures of all the workers on the desk and they're putting beans, they're putting the Boston baked beans on on the faces to determine who gets more of a bonus? Is that what's going on? Is Travis Goff walking around a conference room table with a picture of Jeff Munkin and a picture of Lance Leipold? Is he just putting Boston baked beans on each one of their faces trying to figure out who's got more pros than the others? I wonder, has he made a decision yet or not? Or is this just simply part of the plan too? Is is it a timing concern? Is it that you don't want to announce it right before the spring game? Are you giving that person time to make a decision? Is there negotiations going on with money? I don't figure that money is going to be an issue in this hiring, but I don't know. You know that schools are in precarious situations financially because of COVID, but you'd imagine that because these names have been circulating long before Travis Goff got here, which means that the donors were behind Lance Leipold and Jeff Munkin, I'd imagine that they're willing to shell out the money to get it done. And neither one of those guys are making any money at their current spots. So what is the holdup? Do you think they know right now? Do you think Do you think that Travis Goff has made a decision? I kind of do. Now, what the wait would be for, it depends whenever we hear about it, you know? If we hear about this right before the spring game, because this is something we were talking about yesterday, if this gets released right before the spring game or on Thursday or Friday or whatever, gosh, Saturday morning of the spring game, that'd be wild. 
Um, that is clearly, to me, an indication that we're going to use this spring game. It's on ESPN Plus as almost like a, I don't know how long the spring game will be, two-hour infomercial, basically. Whereas if they do it after the spring game, then it's to what you were saying yesterday, where you don't want to take it away from the kids. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like he already knows. But you know what else you don't want to do? Guess. You know, know what else you want to do? Is that you want to make sure the kids find out yes. before it leaks. You want to be the one to tell them. So that would be the other part of it, is that if you know a leak is imminent, which honestly, if you make a decision a leak is in 2021, you can't keep this under wraps if you've already made the hire. Because that person's going to tell... His team, you want to time it all out perfectly. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is just, I'm going to act like I haven't made a decision because I don't want this thing to leak. Because the worst thing that could happen is that the KU players who already don't want a new coach, and that's not to say that they're not going to like the new coach, it's just as of today, I would guess a majority of them want to stick with Emmett Jones because it's the person you know. It's as simple as that. It's not anything against the two candidates. It's just how kids are wired. It's football. It's There is a connectivity and a chemistry thing that you don't really want to disrupt. So they're going to be initially maybe a little bit upset, miffed, whatever verb you want to use. Adjective, I guess, is what that would actually be. And if that's going to be the case, the worst thing that could happen is if those kids find out on Twitter. And then Travis Goff has to come in and sit down and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry we didn't get to you first. You want this thing to be as organized as possible. And honestly, one thing about Travis Goff that I feel pretty certain about is he's pretty organized. He seems pretty organized. He seems pretty thorough, pretty professional. So I think he's going to make that happen. But if that's the case, then I almost wonder if maybe a decision won't come this week. Or maybe it's going to come like in the next 20 minutes. I don't know. We'll find out. We're going to talk to Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star about this. He's going to join us coming up here in about 10. I'm Nick Schwert, and you're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside, because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want to clean on the outside, because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. Rock Chuck Sports Talk is brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports. You might have noticed something strange outside. There's a little more green in the yard. That grass needs a trim. And soon, Cycle Zone Power Sports in North Topeka has a brand of riding mowers made right here in the U.S. of A. They're bad boy mowers made a few hours from here in the Ozarks. They're zero-turn mowers, so they drive like a speedy little tank. 
and they're engineered to be strong, long-lasting, and easy to maintain. Turn a chore into something you love. Mow with an attitude with the new Bad Boy Mower from Cyclozone Power Sports. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star is going to be joining us coming up here in just a few minutes. Um, I think I might actually have a... I don't know if this is considered breaking news. It is news, and it's new news. Um, we don't know who KU's next coach is going to be yet still. So sorry for starting two segments the exact same way and not telling you who the no coach is going to be. But I don't know that. What I have been uh, told, and you can check this out on Twitter, uh, courtesy of Bryson Stricker, is that there is going to be a meeting held with the players very shortly. Mm. And generally, that is a precursor to announcing that there is going to be... I mean, we just talked about this in the last segment. You don't want this news to leak before you make the announcement. You don't want the players to find out through social media. Because imagine that, too. It's not just if it's a new coach that you don't want. Let's use, for example, Jeff Munkin. Because Jeff Munkin has had success at Army doing what? Running the triple option. That's not an attractive style of offense for most kids. For receivers. For receivers specifically. Which KU has a lot of highly recruited receivers. So, flip side, so it should be noted, and I mentioned this two weeks ago or three weeks ago, that Jeff Munkin this entire time has been campaigning and pitching and putting together a game plan none of which involve the triple option. Now, I'd imagine there will be some triple option elements, but he's not bringing the triple option to Kansas. There's going to be triple right. options. There's going to be RPO, shotgun. No, think like, like Coastal Carolina. Right. You know? Right. So there will be elements of it, but he's not bringing the triple option to Kansas. It's the same thing. I don't get why people do this. It's the same thing when people talk about Bill Self going to the NBA. They say, well, you can't run that style in the NBA. I, I give him enough credit to assume that he's going to adapt. That's what you have to do here with Jeff Munger. But on the surface, if you're a player and you find out, oh, we just hired the triple option coach, what are you going to do? You're going to be upset. You guys are going to start talking amongst each other, and you're going to say, this is BS. I want out. Do you want out? Let's get out. This is bo-. You know, you're going to have the group chats. You're going to have the messages, and there's going to be emotions running high. That Then the first order of business for that new coach when he gets here is trying to quell any concerns. That's why... If you do make a hire like that, you get out of in front of it, and you if you're Travis Goff, you sit down and you say two things. You say, first things first, this is not going to be a triple option coach. We, I mean, we made a new hire. I know your your first thing that comes to mind is always oh, bringing the triple option. That's not happening. We've been assured that. Second thing you do is you say, all I ask is you give this guy a chance. I'm not asking anybody to promise me that you're going to stay. I'm not asking you for anything other than that you're going to be open-minded and give this guy a chance. That's what you do right now. And if you do that today, then there's probably a press conference coming tomorrow. There's probably an announcement coming tomorrow. Those are just context clues. If there's a meeting with players today, there's probably an announcement being made tomorrow. Because at that point, if you announce it to the players, then then it's definitely going to leak. If you can avoid the leak to the players, the players will be the ones to leak it. Because if you let a group of, how many guys are even on the team, right? There's going to be 100 people find out today. 100 people are going to find out today who didn't know. What's going to happen? They're all going to, hey, please don't say anything. 
Imagine, okay. you know how funny it would be if, well, I mean, this wouldn't be funny, but all of a sudden we see like, oh, 4K receivers have entered the transfer portal. <laughs> Can it even process that quickly? Can I, to- I want to address that, though, real quick, because um, I, I know that is for a lot of people like, oh, you should go out and get another guy. You're going to lose all these players. I mean, so can you never go out and get another guy if it doesn't work? Would be, And on top of that, like, if you make the right coaching hire, it shouldn't matter. And so, yes, you are going to, if it is Jeff Munkin, even if you're not running triple option, even if it is, like, more of a Coastal Carolina or a Tulane type of offense, um, you're still going to probably lose a couple receivers because there's not going to be as many throws. But if you're not throwing it as much, like, certainly you want the good players, but if you're not using them as much, like, that shouldn't be a tool of an argument, I guess. What do you mean? Because if you're not using receivers as much, for instance, and a bunch of receivers transfer, and it's like, wow, this guy would have been a great receiver okay, okay, in a vertical yeah. passing game. It's like, well, we weren't going to use him anyway. Uh-huh. You know, not to say yeah. that you don't that you want him to leave. Certainly, you'd rather have the talent than not. And then also just the idea that, like, you know, if you get a coach now, then it's going to save you from losing all these players in. Or, or it's not, yeah. you know. Like, I think it's a, I think it's a moot point though because right. I don't think that Jeff Munkin, Jeff Munkin is not a guy who ran the triple option because it was he, because he just loves that offense. He ran the triple option because he's at a service academy, because you can't recruit the same types of players at a service academy it's more as you so can the everywhere else. Lineman, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't You're be smaller. Six five three hundred. So you need those guys to have leverage. Um, maybe my favorite thing though about Jeff Munkin. Is And I think a lot of people would like this. You know, a lot of times with KU football, you hear this all the time. It'll be fourth and short. They don't go for it. And what's the first thing that people say? What do you have to lose? Well, Jeff Munkin prescribes to that same kind of like analytic. It's like a book that uh, John Harbaugh does with the Ravens where he has this book that tells him this situation, this down and distance, you're going for it. And here was the result. This is... Army under Jeff Munkin. I don't know why I'm settling on Jeff Munkin here, but um, fourth down attempts. I'll tell you why, because it sounds like it's going to be him. Sure. Fourth down attempts for Jeff Munkin and Army. 2020, first. 2019, first. 2018, fourth. 2017, seventh. 2016, third. He is going to consistently have KU, who is at a talent disadvantage, trying to get an analytical edge on those fourth downs. So if you're the proponent of saying, well, what do we have to lose? Be more aggressive on fourth downs. That's your guy. That is the best. Like, the best. The best fourth down decision-making coach in college football. There was a year where they literally, I think they set the actual NCAA record. Uh, It was 2018. They went like 32 of 36 or something. They converted fourth downs at an 86% clip. And they also ranked first in fourth down attempts. Even if you were okay, I, I still I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down this road yet until I know. Yeah. Um, because it's I still think it's Munkin or, or Leopold. It certainly sounds like it's gonna be Jeff Munkin. Again, if you want somebody who kind of is on top of this stuff and has been, uh Bryson Stricker is really good. You can check him out on Twitter. Um and he's and he's reporting right now that it is gonna be Jeff Munkin. Mm. Um well he's reporting that every single context clue is pointing to Jeff Munkin, which again, like Munkin has been a guy I remember the, the day, the day that Travis Goff got hired. I get a text from somebody saying that Jeff Munkin's assembling a staff. 
and he's reaching out to former KU people. And he's already had have, had this game plan ready to go. Like the day that the new AD was hired or announced, he is unveiling his plan to fix Kansas. That's how you do it. You know, you get jobs, and honestly, any job, any line of work, you know the number one thing that you can have to get the job is interest and passion. Be annoying. Be annoying with how persistent you're going to be showcasing to the prospective uh, employer how much you want the gig. And that is what Munkin has done from day one. One quick thing before we bring Jesse on. Something you said yesterday. You want a coach that's going to put his head to the grindstone or nose to the grindstone, I don't know, whatever the saying is, and just work. What distributes that more than what he did there? He didn't spread that out to the media. He was trying to put together a plan to fix Kansas. He wasn't going on social media saying, I want this job. He wasn't leaking reports saying, I want this job. He put a plan together to try to get the job. Yeah. That's how you get it. And we'll see if he ends up being the guy. But if he is, and even if it's Lance Leipold, as a Kansas football fan, you should be thrilled because this is by far, either one of them would by far be the most qualified head coach that KU has hired in the last 12 years, ever since Mark Mangino left. There has not been anyone as qualified as either one of these dudes. I'd be thrilled to have either one of them. Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star, joins us next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. All right, we got RCST trivia coming up here at uh, at 4 o'clock. What if there's an announcement made soon? Do we, we can't bounce trivia. Trivia supersedes KU football, right? Is there anything that trivia doesn't supersede? What if Bill Self announced that he was retiring from coaching basketball sorry bub move over you have to wait till tomorrow because we're out early at five o'clock so we don't even have room for you in the next hour bill you have to wait till thursday well here's the hoping that doesn't happen jesse newell of the kansas city star joins us now on the show jesse if at any point in the next 15 minutes uh there is an announcement coming that ku is hiring a new coach uh, you can just say gotta go and then hang up i think we need a, a code word a secret word yeah 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 let's come up with a safe word um, that will be your exit strategy if you need to go. Banana. Banana is the code word. Okay, I swear to God, I was going to say banana. I don't know why. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> what if banana word, yeah. What if banana comes up in context, though? That could be an issue. Okay, I'll, I'll avoid it. I'll Somehow. try to. So will I. So will I. I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, Jesse, if, if this is down to Lance Leipold and, and Jeff Munkin, which almost every indication would lead you to believe that it is for KU's next football coach, if those are the two candidates, is there any way at that point this could screw this up? Is there any way that that won't be seen as an overwhelmingly positive hire? I think the answer to your question is two different things there, Nick. Um, you know, I, I've got, this is, like this is way more information than you need, but uh, over the pandemic, I've gotten into poker a lot more. And I think poker can teach you a lot about life because a lot of times in poker, you can work with the knowledge that you have with what you know, with how scenarios should turn out, with the numbers, with the probability, and then a card comes on the turn of the river and you lose the pot. And so I think your second question there is, is there any way to not be happy with this particular hire? And I think the answer to that is going to be, it's, it's probably a tough for Kansas fans because it seems like both Jeff Munkin and Lance Leipold are two of the best candidates that KU has had for its coaching position in the last 12 years. So I, I think that's an overwhelming positive. Does that mean that in five years that one of these guys 
is going to work out at Kansas or not work out at Kansas, and the other guy is successful elsewhere or not successful elsewhere. Um, that is that is the question right there. You know what I mean? Like, just because you made the correct and sound decision and did everything in your due diligence to try to figure out who that guy would be and you put everything in place, that doesn't mean it's going to work out. There's unknown factors from now, and just like we don't know the weather forecast in three or four weeks because crazy things happen in the atmosphere that we can't predict, crazy things are going to happen that we can't predict over the next few weeks and months that could determine the success of whatever coach it may be. So I think Kansas fans should feel pretty good if it's one of those two guys. It sure seems like it's going to be Jeff Munkin here. That's kind of in the smoke all day about who it's going to be. Uh, I think KU fans can be excited about that. It seems like a very logical pick. Um, but, again, does that guarantee success and or does it guarantee that in five years you're not going to back and say, well, Lance Leipold succeeded at Nebraska and, and Jeff Munkin flamed out at Kansas. You don't know those answers yet because all those things are sort of unknowns. But uh, that's sort of why poker is life and life is poker and, and sometimes life is unpredictable. But um, if Travis Goff is just the hire that he does make in Jeff Munkin, I definitely think there are a lot of reasons to, to believe that that was uh, a good and solid choice and a good choice for Kansas at this point in time. No, but you know what, what it would uh, help you avoid? At least I hope. There's always going to be irration, ir- irrational thinkers. But you and I can establish this right now together, is that at the very least, if it doesn't work out four or five years from now or however long it takes, at the very least we will not be looking back and saying, like we did with Les Miles, like we did with David Beatty, like we did with Charlie Weiss, is what were you thinking when you hired him? How did we ever think? that this was going to be a good idea. At the very least, this hire will differ in those ones. <laughs> well, you would think so, Nick. Um, I, I'll do this because I love you. Um, I was actually going back and looking at some of the less mild tweets when they came out, and you might want to go look at some of the things you said. I know what I said, damn it. I know what I said. <laughs> uh, because, uh, yeah, I think people were pretty excited about the less mild hire, too, and to be completely fair, I mean, the reason that Les Miles is not the coach of Kansas right now is because of the LSU thing that came out. And obviously that had to go back to due diligence and whether, you know, Jeff Long knew about that or not. But whatever the case, KU basically couldn't continue with him because of just the perception. And at some point, perception is reality and you can't really um, get over that sort of thing. So, I, you know, it's tough for that. And, and to be completely honest with you, why are we talking about Jeff Munkin and Lance Leipold being potentially interested in this job, a lot of the reason for that is because Les Miles did the right thing in recruiting, and Jeff Long gave him enough of a leash to do that, which is go out, get a bunch of high school players, try to develop them in the program, get talented guys, build it up the right way, and pay for some of the sins of administration's past. So uh, even then, I don't, I don't know that you want to toss too many stones at Les Miles because if KU turns this thing around relatively quickly with a new coach, uh, I think he'll be a footnote as to why this thing turned around. He went through kind of um, that very rough purgatory period for Kansas that was desperately needed over the course of the last five or six years. But um, to your point, I, I think perceptions change over time, and in obviously two years or three years from now, we could all think differently. But I will try to remember this moment, and it definitely seemed like this is a logical hire. Either Jeff Munkin or Lance Leipold were logical hires for Kansas. It seems to make sense. Both of those guys took programs that were in position similar to Kansas with, you know, disadvantages that are very difficult to overcome and over the course of time overcame those disadvantages and seemed to be ready and are established, are established head coaches, which just seems what kind of what Kansas needs at this point in time, too. So I agree with you on those accounts. Again, it doesn't mean it's, it's going to work out, and it doesn't mean that, that, that 
Travis Goff at some point won't get criticized or that we all won't forget what we were talking about on April 28, 2021, because those things happen very quickly, too, and we forget what we write on Twitter as well. Or maybe we don't, since you didn't, Nick, but um, <laughs> I, I think the bottom line with it is this is a logical place to come from. This is not out of left field. This isn't a Charlie Wise hire where nobody saw it coming and it makes you scratch your head and go, how in the world? Did an athletic director get to there? Uh, this one seems to be sort of by the book, and it makes sense for Kansas in all the ways that you think it would. Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star, with us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about Jeff Munkin, because as you said, there seems to be a lot of smoke pointing to Jeff Munkin. We know how he found success at Army. That was running a triple option. Uh, Army also has some uh, unique characteristics that would probably require coaches to do things a little bit differently there than you would elsewhere. It sounds like the triple option wouldn't be following him to Kansas if it is him that gets the job. Is that the right move? Do you feel like uh, there should be any concern about a guy switching up his offense, an offense that made him so successful? Well... It's a very nuanced question, and I do, first off, just want to credit John Kirby of Jayhawks Land because he's been saying this from the beginning. He's been the one on the forefront reporting that this, that, you know, if Jeff Munkin comes to Kansas, he will not be running the triple option primarily. And so, um, you know, the credit goes in for kind of the, the research he's done with that, and obviously that'll be something that Jeff has asked if there is an introductory press conference, and he is the KU coach, so he can kind of explain it further. Um, but, again, the nuance of that is, is sort of complicated because if you're Kansas, um, to go completely in that direction, you would really have to cater all your personnel to it. And I just talked about how Les Miles sort of built up this program to a point where, okay, you might be ready to compete in two or three years with some of the young players they have. So if you are going to completely redo what you want to do offensively and want to get more mobile linemen like Army had because of you know the weight restrictions and things like that, and to have an only running quarterback, all those sorts of things, you know, you're sort of taking two steps back when potentially that's not something that you necessarily need to do. The other thing to talk about with that is while everybody kind of makes a big deal about the triple option, a lot of those run schemes that go with it are things that are very easily implementable in a, you know, in a more, in a different style. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can incorporate those run schemes and still throw the football. You know what I'm saying? You can do it in a different formation. You don't have to do it under center every single time like Army does. So uh, I guess the, the, the main point with that is um, I think for Kansas in particular, and, and this would be stuff we'll learn if there, you know, if this introductory press conference happens, is, is sort of the plan that Jeff Munkin has for Kansas. And by all indications, he seems more like a CEO type that uh, if you've seen some of these videos out there of him motivating or in the locker room or attention to detail, or I talked about this in a, a piece I did today, this kind of six things to know about Jeff Munkin, where super detailed in recruiting. They have a whiteboard with 200 names on it. They have a, another whiteboard, another room with 100 names on it. I mean, just meticulous when it comes to these sorts of details. Uh, it, it seems more like he's not coming in here like, this is my plan offensively. This is what I do. I'm going to do it. It's more like, hey, uh, this is my plan for the program. This is how everybody is going to improve, and I'm going to trust my offensive coordinator to do what he believes is right and what he believes would be best for Kansas football and the personnel that they have. So um, it's kind of a nuanced answer there. So I don't think they have to throw out all their all the things that have made them successful over the course of time here with the triple option. And surely the option will be part of what they do, but to run it primarily and to completely kind of overhaul your roster to do that, I definitely think there's a way to avoid that, especially if you want to try to turn this thing around a little bit quicker with all those pieces that Les Miles left you. 
Yeah, I think that's just it, right? You're trying to do multiple things at once and changing the offense would lend itself to it. You talked about recruiting, and uh, I did read your piece, by the way, just in case you were wondering. I did read your piece uh, earlier today. And one thing that stands out to me is the the uniqueness of being at a service academy and how you can't really recruit exactly the same as a lot of guys would, but you also have the luxury, as you pointed out, that you don't have the same limitations in terms of numbers of guys you can recruit. Do you do you wonder how that's going to look at all? I'm not really asking you if you're concerned, but how is that going to be different for a guy coming from Army? Yeah, so, it, again, this is sort of a philosophical question, I think, when it comes to uh, hiring a football coach, because um, obviously he also coached at Georgia Southern before that and was successful, so um, that's kind of a notch on his belt as well. The thing about that is, is it did he take advantage of the rules with Army? You know what I mean? Did he find an edge there because they don't have as many restrictions on the number of guys they can bring in? Um, or, you know, did he search for all the edges that his school could provide and um, potentially that's something he could do at Kansas as well? I mean, you know, you, know, you look back at, for example, uh, David Beatty a few years ago, and, and this wasn't a perfect thing for him, but you know how they pursued the blue shirts? They did a lot of those, and they were doing more of those than any other team in the country, and with some of them, it worked. Like, they got a guy like Hakeem Adeniji, who now is in the NFL, was their left tackle starter for four years, and got him because they utilized this rule that basically nobody else was using. Um, so, I mean, you know, David Beatty, uh, his tenure at Kansas obviously did not go as planned, and he was, <laughs> you know, fired because he didn't win enough football games, all those sorts of things. But he was at least pursuing kind of a different way to win at Kansas because that was kind of a rule that played in Kansas's favor and sort of a new rule. So that, to me, is sort of the, the Jeff Munkin question here is it did he take advantage of the army rules because he was at army or did he take advantage of the rules because he was at army and researched those and looked into those and one of those parts of the piece that that you know i would reference in there is that they did a bunch of uh, research and recruiting about who goes to army you know which locations they were they looked into that they it's sort of as you go right now onto his twitter page he follows zero people on twitter like they wanted to keep their recruiting ties mm-hmm. shut down so nobody else knew who they were going after and so just tiny competitive edges in that way and so uh again i don't know this for sure i, I can't you know we can't sit on the interviews but i would think if he impressed travis goff enough to get this job that there was something in place there something brought up in interviews to say hey this is what i've done in the past this is why i worked at army but I've researched Kansas, and here are A, B, C, D, E, F, G of things I think that could work at Kansas, and here's how I would plan to implement that, and here's how detail-based I am, because these are the things I've already been thinking about, and these are the things I think could succeed at a place like Lawrence. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, sort of, uh, it's sort of asking a very good question, but it's, it's, it's like asking, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it Army that made him successful, or is it successful because he went into Army and figured out what could make him successful and then implemented that? And uh, another clue to that potentially is if you look at the previous Army coaches that were there and the lack of success they had. I had that in the piece as well. From 2000 to 2014, Army had one season with more than six wins. It was a 7-5 and five campaign, and Jeff Munkin has won eight games or more in four of the last five years uh, with the Black Knights. So, again, that would be another notch in his belt. Doesn't guarantee it's going to work out, but potentially that's saying to someone, hey, this guy found ways to recruit and win at a place that it was very difficult to do before that, at least in recent times. And so um, that, to me, would kind of indicate that somewhere along the line in the interview process, if Jeff Munkin gets this job, he'd probably share with Travis Goff how detail-oriented it is and potentially how he thinks 
Kansas can be successful in all the ways that Army was successful, maybe just in a little bit of a, of a different manner. What's well, going to be your first question? Regard, I guess that's not a fair question, but I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> because I, we don't know who it's going to be yet. But um, what is, what's going to be the first question, even if you're not going to ask it, if the one that's just in your head about this next coach that you want to know about the guy who's about to take over for KU football? Well, I think there's a lot right off the top, and a lot of the times, you know, you wait to see if this question gets asked before. Um, I'm, this is short-term, obviously, but I'm very interested in the staff uh, right now uh, for Kansas. What do you do? How many guys does he bring in? How many guys does he keep? And as we mentioned before, this could go very wrong in the short term for Kansas because, um, you know, if they lose a lot of guys, especially with this first-time transfer rule going through, then you sort of mortgage the last two and three years of what you've worked up with in recruiting and lose a lot of the pain that you've gone through on, in, on the field and losses and kind of have to start over again. So how many people will he keep? Is that going to be a financial issue? Can he hire his own staff? Does he want to hire his own staff? Will he bring in a defensive coordinator? Will he bring in his offensive coordinator? Maybe he can't answer all those right off the bat. Uh, but, the, you know, the second question, and then the one that everybody's asking right now, the one that the whole college football world wants to know is the triple option. So um, whether I ask it or somebody else does, hmm. that is going to be the main thing. And how much of that he's going to implement at Kansas, how much of that he's, he's interested in putting into the system, and then how comfortable he feels going in a different direction at a Big 12 school when he's had so much success with a different model uh, at Army. So those are the main two, I would say. But uh, if this does become official, I'm sure I can brainstorm a few more. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Banana, you can go now, Jesse. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it, Nick. Thanks. All righty, that is Jesse Newell. Check out his work in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. RCST Trivia starts next. Quick shout-out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros., and the Lawrence Public Library, our first matchup today brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self mac and cheese, the Haney turkey stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. It's been an incredible two days so far this week to start off the second round of our CST Trivia it might have it might have been the two best days that we've had of our CST trivia to date because both matchups or both days had incredible matchups that went deep, guys knocking down the hard questions, the really hard questions. So we've had some very worthy winners in the first two days of round two. Let's see if day three is going to continue that trend. Our first matchup today comes to us from the East region. It's a three eleven matchup between the three seed Kyle. And the 11 seed, Brian. Kyle, you made it to the Sweet 16 a, week, a year ago, if I remember correctly. And uh, you told us before we got on the air that you were actually on vacation right now. Do you feel like the vacation is going to hurt you <laughs> or help you today? Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm more on adrenaline right now when you're chasing kids around a, a water park. <laughs> you stop for trivia, you have less time to get nervous. Um, but, you know, I feel like it's a little bit of pressure on Brian, too, because if he beats me, he ruins my vacation. So I, I don't know if that he, want, he wants that on his conscience. But we'll see. <laughs> That's a really good point. Brian, I don't know if you'd considered that before right now, but does that add any extra pressure to today? 
You know, with that Missouri yellow uh, tank top, uh, it motivates me. <laughs> yeah, for those listening online, uh, for That's those listening on, it. on the radio, yeah, <laughs> we got a uh, we got a little goldish yellow tint to Kyle's tank top today. Well, I'm excited that you guys are with us, getting us started off here for day three of round two. You win today, you're officially into the prize pool. Everybody who makes it to the sizzling sixteen gets twenty dollars to CBD of Lawrence as well as that coveted. RCST t-shirt. So that's what's at stake if you guys can take care of business. The only thing that's going to be different from your first round matchup to today is that we have removed the really easy questions. So no more asking what color is the Jayhawks beak. No more asking uh, who was the leading scorer on the 1988 Kansas National Championship team. You guys don't need them. You've proven that by making it to the second round. You still have 30 seconds to answer and we're still going to play you a five second warning when you hear this ticking sound, that means you have five seconds left on the clock, so make sure you say something and get your answer off. Otherwise, you run out of time, and you're automatically getting that answer correctly. Kyle, Brian, do you have any questions for me before we get this thing going? All right. Shaking your shaking your heads, ready to get down to business. Brian, you're the 11 seed, so you have the option of answering first or second. I'll go second. Okay. Kyle, first question is for you. How many Helms National Championships does Kansas basketball have? Two. That is correct. Two Helms National Championships in 1922 and 1923. All right, Brian, question number one for you. How many non-Helms National Championships does Kansas basketball have? Three. Three is correct. 1952, 1988, and 2008. Good start, fellas. Back to you now for question number two, Kyle. Kansas overcame a nine-point first-half deficit behind a 16-point, 12-rebound five-block performance out of Jeff Withy in the 2013 NCAA Tournament second-round game against who? North Carolina. That is correct. It always feels good to beat North Carolina in the NCAA Tournament. KU's had some pretty good fortune doing that under Bill Self. All right, Brian, back to you. In 2009, Kansas lost its title defense in the Sweet 16 by a score of 67 to 62. Who did they lose to? Michigan State. Michigan State is correct. I don't know. Do we consider Michigan State a blue blood? Close enough. All right. Probably not officially, but solid program. Great job, fellas, both knocking down your first two questions. I love it. We're already off to a good start. As long as you don't miss the first one, generally speaking, I'm going to give you credit for it. All right, here we go. We're into the hard tier of questions. Kyle, Brian, first matchup of the day coming to us from the East region. And Kyle, we go back to you. In 2002, Kansas went to the Final Four. Who did they beat in the Elite Eight? to get to the Final Four? 
Oregon. Oregon is correct. I believe that team had uh, had Luke Ridenauer on the team, right? And another white guy, another white guard who I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Brian, your next question. Luke Jackson. Luke Jackson. There we go. Not not the actual answer we're looking for, but bonus points. You get a point in my heart. All right, Brian. Here's your official question. The Jayhawks lost in the national semifinals that year, 97 to 88. Who did they lose to? Maryland. Maryland is correct. They would go on to win the national championship in 2002 against Indiana. I don't believe that will be coming up in later rounds. All right, guys. You have done it. You have, all, you have made it to the very hard tier of questions. And you automatically get an RCST t-shirt if you, if you guys answer one of these right. So even if you lose, you answer one of these questions right, you get a free RCST t-shirt. But I know you guys got your sights set on bigger things. Kyle, your next question. Kansas made the Sweet 16 in 1994 before losing to Purdue. Who led the Jayhawks in scoring per game for that season? Jordan. The correct answer was Steve Woodbury. Steve Woodbury with 15.5 points per game. I don't believe Adonis Jordan was on that team in 1994. Okay, Brian. No, probably not. Brian, if you can answer this correctly, you're winning this matchup and you're moving on to the sizzling 16. Kansas made it all the way to the national championship game in 1991 before losing to Duke. Who led that Kansas team in points per game? Mark Randall. The correct answer, Terry Brown. Terry Brown led the team scoring in 16 points per game. And I just saw Kyle take a huge sigh of relief here. Get a a new lease on life here. We going back? We're going back here. We're going to go back now to a hard question. So we're moving it back here in level of difficulty. Kyle, who was KU's first ever McDonald's All-American who joined the team in 1977? Darnell Valentine. Darnell Valentine is correct. There's been some Darnell Valentine popping up the last few days, so if you've been listening, I don't know if you have been. You're on vacation, but uh, it certainly would serve you well. Okay, Brian, back to you. Brian, this KU big man won back-to-back Big 8 Player of the Year honors in 1970 and 1971. He was the first Jayhawk to win Big 8 Player of the Year. Who is it? Bud Stallworth? 
The correct answer, Dave Robish. Dave Robish. Bud uh, was a guard. Yeah, the key The key there, uh, KU big man to win back-to-back Big 8 Player of the Year awards. So that means, Kyle, you win this matchup and you are moving on to the sizzling 16 for the second consecutive year. How's it feel? Uh, it feels it feels like a relief, I think, more than anything. When uh, when Brian said Mark Randall, all I could think to myself was, "That's probably right." I <laughs> don't know why it wouldn't be. And uh, and uh, Terry Brown, and yeah, it, it resonated. So no, I, I relief, but but it was a great matchup, Brian. It was fun. Well, I know you're on vacation. You're on vacation with your kids right now, Kyle. You had to, you told us you had to take them away from the water park to come do trivia. Uh, how are you going to break the news to them that you won today? And how do you think that news is going to be received? I think they'll be pretty excited. Uh, I'll be back in my uh, in Overland Park next week, and uh, they'll be back in daycare, and everybody will be back to normal. So, uh, yeah, it should be a celebration today. Brian, you guessed Bud Stallworth, who did win Big 8 Player of the Year. He won it in 1972. Dave Robish won it in 1970 and 1971. That's... That's a tough one because you were right there. The big man was the key giveaway. I know that's got to feel a little brutal. How you feeling, Brian? Oh, good. You know, I thought I had it with Mark Randall, but I guess uh, downtown Barry Terry Brown got me. That's right. Mark Randall was second. Yeah, that Terry year. Brown averaged sixteen a game in twenty-five minutes. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> Randall averaged fifteen, so he's a point behind. <sighs> that's tough, man. That's a tough oh, man. one. That's tough. I, I remember the Sports Illustrated cover with Randall on it. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. And you know what? It's better than it's better than going out swinging. It's better than going out looking, right? You had a guess. It was a good guess right there. Close. You did a great job, Brian. Worthy competitor. You were an 11 seed this year. Obviously, very underseeded. You're moving up the seed line next season. So thank you, Brian. Kyle, congratulations. Enjoy the rest of your vacation. We'll see you in the second round. Thanks, guys. Rock out. Appreciate it, guys. RCST Trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and taproom located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers, and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decorah anytime soon, don't worry. You can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com. Everybody who wins in the second round of RCST Trivia and makes it into the Sizzling 16 is going to win a $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence, as well as an RCST t-shirt, which, as we all know, you cannot possibly put a price tag on. Matchup number two today, we're sticking in the East region. This one a little bit more unconventional when you look at the seating. A 7-15 matchup. We don't get that very often. Maybe we got it with uh, Oral Roberts and whoever they played in the second round. Florida. Wow, it's a good recall. I beat you in trivia. Yeah, you did. Give yourself a ding. All right, Andrew and John joining us from the East region. Andrew, the seven seed. I believe your matchup went pretty deep in the first round. Do you feel like you're battle-tested and ready, Andrew? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think so. I, it's been a little less than two weeks since the last one, so I'm um, nerves are still pretty high, to be honest. But I think I'm more nervous this week than I was last time. Really? So. Because I've always thought that getting past the first round removes some of the nerves because you get that monkey off your back. 
Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe a little bit. I, I got the win in the first round, and I lost the year before in the first round, so may, I don't know. May, I, maybe I'm just a nervous dude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. You moved on. You, you got past. You, you exercised some demons in, in week one or in round one, so maybe that's what you needed. You're going to be going up against a bit of a, a giant slayer, John, a 15 seed. Not very often a 15 seed makes it to the second round. That's what you've been able to accomplish, John. So you got to be feeling pretty proud of yourself, right? <laughs> Yeah, I feel pretty good. I, we'll see how it goes. I don't know. Now, you you didn't... You, you should feel proud, but also, I, if I remember correctly, in the first round, you only had to hey, answer... Mr. Danny Manning question. Yeah, you only had to answer one question correctly. So, uh, do you feel ready? Do you feel like you know what's what's coming today? Uh, we'll see. I, I did a little bit of studying, so we'll see how it goes. All right, guys. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys have in store for us. The only thing that's going to be different from your first round matchup to today is that we've removed the really easy questions. You guys made it to the second round. You have proved uh, you don't need those ones. So everything else will be the same. It's just that we only have four difficulty levels instead of five. The questions will still get progressively more difficult. You got 30 seconds to answer. Your timer starts right when I get done asking the question, and we will play you a five-second warning. Make sure you get your answer off before you hear Eric Collins yell. If you hear that and you haven't answered, you've run out of time, and you automatically get that question wrong. Andrew, John, do you guys have any questions for me before we get this thing rolling? I think I'm good. All right, guys. John, as the underdog, you have the option of answering first or second. Second. Okay. Andrew, first question is for you. On January 4th of 2016... Kansas played a three-overtime game against who? Uh, Oklahoma. That's right. Maybe the best game I've ever seen inside Allen Fieldhouse. That was the night before my 21st birthday. You could imagine that was a fun night. I had a friend in from California who had never been to a college basketball game before. I got him nosebleeds for $20. It's still the only game he's been to. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. Yeah. Unreal. All right. John, first question for you. Later that same year, Kansas unveiled the rules of basketball, the original rules of basketball, at halftime of a home game against what SEC opponent in the Big 12 SEC Challenge? Kentucky. Kentucky. You kind of said that like it was a bit of a guess, but honestly, if I'm telling you SEC and Big 12 SEC Challenge, it's probably a safe bet. All right. Great start, guys. Andrew, we're going back to you now for your second question. Andrew, what team did Kansas lose to in triple overtime in the 1957 National Championship game despite Wilt Chamberlain going for 23 points and 14 rebounds? We I just was doing. I was just looking up stuff. I, North Carolina. That is correct. It is such an uncertainty in your voice when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely correct. Lost in a UNC in that title game. Yeah, Wilt never got a title. Okay, John. Question number two for you. In 1986. 
Kansas made the final four, led by a sophomore, Danny Manning. Who did they lose to in the final four? Jeez, mm. Duke or Louisville? I think Duke. That is correct. I love it. These guys, <laughs> they're both just no certainty in their voices, but they're just, <laughs> they're knocking them down. I love it. Great start, fellas. Two for two. Now we're going to get into uh, a little bit more difficult line of questioning here. Round two matchup, 7-15 in the East region between Andrew and John. We're back to Andrew for question number three. Andrew, one KU sharpshooter hit 11 threes in a game, which is a school record. He played for KU from 1989 to 1991. What's his name? Uh, downtown Terry Brown. That's right. It's the second Terry Brown question that we've had come up today. Ooh. All right, John. Question number three for you. John, in 1991, what KU player won the Southeast Regional Most Outstanding Player Award for his NCAA tournament performance. Mm. Let's say, uh, let's say Adonis Jordan. John, the correct answer in 1991 the uh, regional most outstanding player was Alonzo Jameson. Alonzo Jameson. I think a lot of people. I would have said Adonis yeah. Jordan too. Yeah. I absolutely would have. Well, Adonis Jordan overall statistically the better player that season, but it was mm-hmm. the North Carolina State game. KU was down big. That was the Arkansas game. Arkansas, yeah, yeah. sorry. Arkansas game. KU, Arkansas. Was, KU was down by 12 at halftime. Adon- Alonzo Jameson had 26 and 9. KU comes back and ends up winning by 12. So gotcha. that's probably what pushed him over the edge. That's tough, though, because those teams were pretty st- steady with Rex Walters and, and right. Adonis Jordan. And when Rex I think, Walters, I was thinking too. And when you think of those teams, like Rex and Adonis are probably the names you automatically gravitate towards. Is that what happened there? Absolutely. That is definitely, those were the two I was thinking in my head, trying to pick between them. Well, that was a strong performance. Strong performance, John. I can tell you this much. You're, you're not going to be on the 15 line. Not going to be a 15 seed if you come back uh, next year. Andrew, you got to feel good. You, yeah, I, definitely. Andrew, you were nervous again coming into this matchup. Uh, not only did yeah. you get out of the first round, you're making it out of the second round, going to the sizzling 16. How you feel, man? Uh, good, good. I'm, I think that means I just got set up with uh, Kyle Martin there in the sizzling 16. So, wow. uh That'll be a battle. <laughs> could that could that cause a rift between a lifelong relationship, man? Uh, I, I, no, no. <laughs> we'll be we'll be just fine. Come on, we, might, I, we we studied together before each of our first rounds or each of our matchups. So I mean, I don't know if there's gonna be much studying, but <laughs> well, I was kind of tr- hoping to start a. A blood feud between the two of you, but okay, you know what? If you need me to, I'll do it. I'll okay, just, I'll go that's on what we Twitter need. We need to start going off. We need storylines. We need <laughs> storylines, Andrew. Well, Andrew, congratulations. We'll see you in the next round, John. Fantastic job. Hope to see you next year, guys. Congrats, man. Thanks for the great matchup. Thanks, John. RCST trivia is brought to you by Sporting Kansas City. MLS is back. 
After finishing at the top of the Western Conference last season, Sporting Kansas City is ready to take the field and paint the wall this year. And if you haven't heard, Sporting Kansas City will be welcoming a limited-capacity crowd again this season. To watch Sporting Kansas City live and in person this year, go to SeatGeek.com SKC. And because you're a listener of Rock Chalk Sports Talk, use the code SKCRCST at checkout to get an exclusive discount on tickets. Again, use the code SKCRCST at checkout and receive an exclusive discount for our listeners at checkout. We'll see you at Children's Mercy Park. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa or call 785 749 4808. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. All right, final matchup of the day. We are in round two of RCST trivia. The first two today have been great all I mean, all week long. We've just been having great matchups. It was very chalky in the first round, which uh, maybe leads to better matchups in the second round. Let's see if that's the case here. Last matchup of the day comes to us from the Midwest region, a 2-10 showdown between Connor and Max. When we last heard from Connor, he was in the Elite Eight last year. When we heard from him last, he was literally sitting in the hallway outside of his classroom getting ready for a final, still able to pull it out and get the win. I think it was a quick matchup, though. Are you a little more focused? Do we have your undivided attention this time around, Connor? Yeah, full attention for today. Got three more finals from this out the week, though, but today I'm free. Today I'm, this is all I'm here about. I love Studied it. Studied this morning a little bit, so we'll see. I love it. Well, you're going to be going up against... A relative newcomer. He wasn't in this event last year, but he got a win in round one. So, Max, um, the way you've described it, you've got a a pretty robust trivia background. So, exactly how does that work? Are you just constantly looking for different trivia tournaments to dip your toes in? I mean, every single day I wake up in the morning and I ask myself five random trivia questions that I have to answer also myself. (laughs) And it keeps me warm. It keeps me ready. Um, at any moment. Um, you never know when a trivia contest could pop up anytime, any day. That's right. And I'll be there for it. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, uh, you know, just uh, like I say, I, for some reason I uh, watch a lot of different trivia-themed content on YouTube. Um, and uh, yeah, I used to build out those Jayhawk trivia pages back that, you know, like back in when I was in junior high. And uh, yeah, so... My, my knowledge on Jayhawk sports, I want to say is robust, but I'm definitely rusty. So uh, we'll see we'll see how I do, and um, you know, I'm sure Connor's going to do great. Well, there wasn't a lot of rust in round one, but yeah, as you mentioned, Connor, fierce competitor, made it to the uh, round of eight last year. So I'm excited for this one to close the day out. Connor and Max, the only thing that's going to be different from your first round matchup is we have done away with the really easy questions. You guys have made it this far, so... I feel like you guys have proven yourselves that uh, you don't need those layups. So we have taken them off, but everything else is going to be the same. So now just four difficulty level of questions that you guys will advance through. So you guys both get a question right. Next question is going to be a little bit more difficult until one of you guys gets it right, one of you guys gets it wrong, at which point we will have found our winner. You still have 30 seconds to answer. 
Your clock starts as soon as I get done asking the question, and we will play you a five-second warning. When you hear this ticking sound, that's loud. That's loud, but don't get, don't let it distract you. That just means you got five seconds, so get an answer out. Otherwise, automatically getting it wrong. All right, Connor and Max, you guys ready to do this thing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Max, as the underdog, you have the option of answering first or second. I'll go second this time. Okay, Connor, first question for you. Connor, name a Kansas player to win the Big 12 Player of the Year award. Uh, We'll go with Frank Mason. Frank Mason is correct. He had quite a uh, few to choose from. Um, There have actually been two since Frank. Would have been uh, Devon Dotson and Yudoka as a bookie. Okay. Max, question number one for you. Devontae Graham. Yeah, not Devon Dotson. Yeah. It's literally on the sheet, and I still said Devon Dotson. I don't know. All right, Max, question question number one for you. Uh, there have been two KU centers, Max, that have won the NABC National Defensive Player of the Year Award in just the past decade. Name one of them for me. Um, and that award is for any player, right? Any position player, not just centers, right? Correct, but uh, for KU, it's been two centers. Um, okay, I'll say Jeff Withy. Woo! Right up against it, but that is correct. Jeff Withy won the NABC Defensive Player of the Year, what I believe, in 2013. The other acceptable answer would have been Yudoka Azabuki. Who did it in 2020? Okay. Were you what were, so what, what I was were you thinking? myself up there? I thought I thought Garrett won it that year that he would have been up for it. So uh, yeah, I was I was thinking I I was tripping myself up. I thought Marcus Garrett won that award the year he would have been up for it. So that's why we um, gave the so I went with Withy, but I, back up our answer was Udoka. Yeah, Garrett won the. There was another. There's two of them. There's the NABC, and then I think. I forget what the other okay. one. Naismith. Naismith, yeah, wooden something. I don't know. Doesn't matter because it's not on the list, and you got it right. Okay. So <laughs> we're moving on to the next round of Good. questioning. And, Connor, we are going back to you. Connor, in 1988, Kansas won the national title. You may remember. What Big 8 opponent did Kansas beat in the Elite 8? Oh, gosh. Oklahoma was the national championship game. Um, God, I don't know. I'm going to have to go with, we're going to go with K-State. It's a good guess. That's a good guess. Mitch Richmond on that team went on to have a very successful NBA career. Pulled one out there. Got it right, Connor. Great job. Max, back to you. That same 1988 team got some revenge the very next round in their final four game over what ACC team that had previously beat them in the 1986 final four. That is correct. Answering before I even get the question out. It's a dangerous game, dangerous game. You're playing max, but it paid off for you there. If you get it right, it's a flex. If you get it wrong, it's like, ugh. yeah, it's like, if you get it right, it's the OB top and turnaround on the three stair at KU. If you get it wrong, it's the Nick young. Nick young. Meme. Yeah. Yeah. 
be memed forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great start, guys. Two for two. Now we're moving on to uh, the hard level of questions. Derek, go ahead and uh, dim the lights a little bit. The mood is getting tense here. Our last matchup of the day. Day three, round two, RCST trivia. Connor and Max fighting for <laughs> trivia supremacy. And Connor, we're going back to you now for your third question. In 2018, Kansas overcame its largest deficit. It was 16 points in a road win in school history against what Big 12 opponent? What was the year again? 2018. West Virginia. That is correct. Max, your next question. Max, the largest lead that KU has ever blown was a 20-point advantage on January 25th, 2003. They were up by 20. They lost by 17 to the number one team in the country out of the then Pac-10. Who did they lose to? Gonna have to say uh, Arizona. That is right. I remember Keith Langford had like 20 points at halftime. I was like, this is awesome. And he ended up losing. And then he ended up scoring like five 17. 17. What a flip. What a turnaround. Wow. And what a matchup. What a matchup we've got here to end the day. And we are now advancing on to the very hard, the most difficult set of questions. And if you guys even get one of these right, even if you lose, if you get one of these questions right, you automatically get an RCST t-shirt. Connor, I know you got yours probably framed somewhere hanging up in your house. You know you know how awesome those shirts are. So you guys get one of these right, you automatically get a free shirt. for no Bob Boozer question. <laughs> Somebody already got a Bob Boozer question earlier this week. Yeah, Isaac, Isaac got a Bob Boozer. Yeah, yep, that's right. Connor, right. I'm going to need you to take a dive on this one, man. I need that t-shirt. <laughs> All right, fellas, here we go. Connor, your next question. Connor, name one of the two players involved in the highest scoring duo in terms of points per game for one season in KU basketball history. Highest scoring duo, points per game, in one season in KU basketball history. Name one of the two players in that duo. Speed duo. So... Uh, I'm going to have to go Nick Collison. Connor. Yeah. The highest scoring duo in KU basketball history. I almost can't get this out without laughing. It would be Wilt Chamberlain and Ron Lineski. Ron Lineski. I wouldn't expect you to get Ron Lineski, but Wilt Chamberlain averaging 30 points per game. Lineski with 13 and a half. You know. Didn't even think back then. I was going more recent. It's going more recent. Connor, I was going to go Tyshawn and uh, T-Rob were the two that came to mind because they did so many scoring. So. That was tough, man. That is a tough one. We need more. Nick Ron- Austin filled it up. We need yep. more Ron Lineski questions in RCST <laughs> trivia. I'll just tell you that right now. All right, Max. So if you get this question correct, you are moving on to the sizzling 16. Here's your question, Max. Who's the only player 
in NCAA history to win the national championship and lead the country in scoring in the same season. He did play for Kansas. That's your hint. National championship, nation's leading scorer in the same season. I'm going to have to say Danny Manning. The correct answer would be Clyde Lavellet. Clyde Lavellet yeah. led Knew the nation. Be old. Knew it was going to be old. <laughs> Clyde Lavellet led the nation in scoring uh, when KU won it back in 1952. Okay. 52. So, Connor and Max, you guys are both still alive. What we're going to do now is we're going to take it back. We're going to go back to the previous tier of questions, ask you another question here from this difficult tier. And, Connor, we're going back to you now. Connor, in the 2006 NCAA tournament, Kansas lost in the first round 77-73 to to Marcellus Somerville. And what team, whose mascot is the Braves? Bradley. Bradley. Bradley the is correct. Bees. The Killer Bees is right. Those were a rough couple years there. All right, Max, back to you. Max, in the 1998 second round, Kansas was upended by Catino Mobley. And what eight-seeded school whose mascot is the Rams? In Sacred Heart. The correct answer, Max. Colorado State. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Yeah, Catino ah, Mobley no. and uh, who was the other guy on that team, Derek? Tyson Wheeler. Yeah, that was uh, that was a brutal one because it was the year after KU had lost to Arizona in the uh, regional final. Mm-hmm. Came basically brought everybody back. Had Rafe. Had Paul. And then, yeah, knocked out in the second round by Catino Mobley, who went on to have a pretty solid career. So just like that, Connor, moving on to the sizzling 16. I heard you. Was that you that said Colorado State? So you would have got that one wrong, too. I, I would have got it. I would have got it wrong, too. I was thinking of the only Ram team I knew, which that would have been my guess if I threw one out. But you got the Bradley one. Yeah. You got the Killer Bees. Max, how you feeling, man? You look a little dejected. <laughs> uh, you know, that's it's um, it's. It was a good question. Um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I was honestly going back to, uh, I used to watch these VHS tapes of the season recaps. Um, my dad owned a few of them and I would watch those. And I just remember, I just remember one of those years where we played Sacred Heart, I felt like, and, and we came close to losing them or we did beat them on our way to maybe losing Arizona. Couldn't remember, but yeah, I just couldn't pull it. I knew it wasn't Colorado State because I, I just, I, I would have remembered that. I just knew it was going to be one of those like tiny schools, yeah. and uh, you know, you know, some, sometimes sometimes that's just the question you draw. So, uh, yeah. congratulations, Connor. Well done, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you're a big True fan. I already have a shirt. You can have my shirt this year. Wow! You it, <laughs> Unbelievable sportsmanship. Shirt, you got it. You got it. Unbelievable. I appreciate, I, <laughs> I appreciate the sportsmanship. That's that's very nice of you. But if it is a you know if it's a different branded shirt, you know, whole new thing. 
I insist you take it. I, I, I'll win it next year if, if, my, if need be. You guys are too gracious, too good. to See, this is what happens. RCST trivia brings the best out of people, man. And this is, this is what it's all about. <laughs> Connor, Max, you guys did great. Thanks for uh, ending the day on a, on a positive note. Max, great job. I can guarantee you if you're back next year, you're not going to be on that 10 line. Connor, excited to have you sticking around, and we'll see you in the next round, man. Sure. Appreciate it, guys. See you guys. Well, that was a good matchup. Yeah, it was a good matchup. All three of our matchups were pretty solid today. Yeah, very good. I actually have a trivia question for you that I actually thought about based on their answers there. Okay. Okay, so there was the one question asked to, I think Max got the question of who was the only player in history, NCAA history, and he happened to be a Jayhawk, to lead the NCAA in scoring and win the national title. Yeah, he guessed Danny Manning. I thought that was a great guess. Well, yeah. Right, I mean. So it got me thinking. So I looked back, and I was like, how did Danny Manning not lead the country in scoring? Mm-hmm. Do you know who led the country in scoring? It was actually a player who the next question was asked to Connor about what school KU lost to in the, the first round. He played at that school in 1988. Wait, what was Connor's question? I already purged it from my brain. Who did KU lose to in the first round? See, I always mix up which year was which, which was Bradley and which was Bucknell. Oh, Bradley. Bradley was second, right? Uh-huh. Bradley was 06. Oh, he played for Bradley in 1988. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I know this. Oh, my he averaged gosh. averaged 36 points per game. That's why Danny Manning did not yes, lead the country I, in scoring. Damn it. I know this question. <laughs> I know this. You want me I, to give you initials? Yes. HH. Uh, Hershey Hawkins. There you go. I wouldn't have got it without the initials. But I believe that was on last year's. It might have been. That's insane. 36 points per game. I like college. It's 40-minute games. I like to think that I'm really good at these questions, but I know it's only because of last year and this year. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if I went in blind, I wouldn't know any of this stuff. You know what's fascinating to me is now we have completed 10 of our matchups here in the second round. So we'll have three more round of 32 matchups tomorrow. And then three more on Friday. So we've got 10 guys who have already advanced to the round of 16. Of those 10, nine of them were in this competition (laughs) a year ago. And not necessarily all of them did well last, made it to this round. Uh, Kyle didn't make it to the, Kyle Coffey, five seed. He didn't make it to the round of 16. Uh, Chris Yurchik, four seed. He didn't make it to the round of 16. Kyle Martin did. Uh, Andrew Filer, seven seed, did not make it. He didn't make it out of the first round. Andrew Wymore didn't make it to the round of 16. Brian Rainey didn't make it to the round of 16. But nine of those 10 were simply in the competition a year ago. The only one, 14 seed Zach. And we'll see, you know, if he's a Cinderella story. But I think the only conclusion that you can draw from that and I don't know if it's necessarily the experience itself or if it's simply knowing what to do with it, knowing now, okay, I know exactly the type of things I should be looking up. Well, also, I think, uh, you know, a lot of times the contestants in this, not everybody, but is listening to the other contestants because you're picking up questions. And it's not just picking up, you know, like you said, the style of how the question is asked, but it's also about there are some, you know, names that you might not know or names that you might have forgot about that it brings up back in your mind. You mentioned earlier today in one of our matchups, we had another question with Darnell Valentine. 
you would have been listening yesterday, you would have been listening the day before, you might have heard the name Darnell Valentine. This was a different question about him. It was McDonald's All-American question, so it would have nothing to do with the other ones you asked. But that name might ring in your bell, and you go, oh, late 70s guard, Darnell Valentine. So I think that helps because you'd have another year where you were maybe more aware and listening to all this stuff. I'm just going to tell you something, and I'm not going to reveal who it was. Mm -hmm. But I was contacted yesterday by an RCST trivia contestant. I'm not going to say whether it's somebody who's already moved on to the Sizzling 16 or they have yet to go. I'll just tell you. But they're in at least the second round. They're in. Okay. They're or in the were. field. No, I'm saying okay. as of right this second, okay. they're okay. alive. Okay. They are alive. Mm-hmm. And they messaged me and said, I always laugh when I hear people say, oh, I wasn't alive during that. Or I'm too young for that. He goes, because you can look up anything that's on the internet. So, and, and listen, having lived through it no, is different I, yeah. than looking it up. Because like yesterday, for example, on that. yesterday for the example, Brian right. got the question of like the 1996 Elite Eight and he took him two seconds. If you didn't live through the 1996 Elite Eight, that's not going to be one that immediately comes to mind. You but may you know it because you looked later. it up. Yeah, You may know it because you looked it up. But having lived through it makes it a layup versus memory recall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But, yeah, I mean, last year we had a 19-year-old winner. You know, so there are ways of getting around it. You just got to study harder. You know, you just got to study harder. But you could argue that if you're younger, you might be a little better on these newer questions because this is more of your heyday growing up into the game. So that's kind of the beauty of this. You never know what you're going to get asked. You get the random different matchups between all these things, and it just kind of results in awesome tournament. By the way... Uh, kind of to the idea of like, you know, not just all these guys who have had the experience advancing on, but I think we also have shown this year it is a tougher field because Kyle Martin's a perfect example. Kyle Martin, to get to the Sweet 16 last year, this is or sizzling, I'm sorry, this is his second straight sizzling 16. You know how many questions he had to get right last year to get to the sizzling no, 16? No, what was it? Four. This year... He has gone through 11 rounds of questions <laughs> through two rounds. Yeah, that's impressive. It, it, it Seriously, like it's like just being able to know what you need to know, like the type of things that you need to know. I mean, who was it today? Andrew got the, the North Carolina question. Who did KU lose to in the 1957 National Championship? Nobody lived through that. Nobody that's competing in this tournament lived through that. So the only way that you're getting that right is if either A, you are a KU historian, which is sort of like the genesis of this tournament, was we want to figure out who's the best. Not because everybody, here's here's what honestly birthed this tournament. It was the idea that everybody who's a KU fan right now thinks they're a historian because they can tell you everything about the Bill Self era. I'm not kidding. Half the people who get in this tournament are like, well, I know KU. I've been a KU fan for the past 10 years. It's like, okay. There was KU basketball before that. You know, what do you know about the 90s? What do you know about the 80s? Hell, what do you know about the 70s yeah. and, and early 80s when KU wasn't competing for titles How many every people year? knew the name Dave Robish, which was an answer to one of our questions? I mean, there's a lot of people who do, but that's the point, is that I know those people are out there. They're not the ones who are vocal about, I know everything about KU. Like, just because you know everything about Marcus Morris and Cole Aldridge doesn't mean you know everything about KU. Like, that's it. How else are you going to get who did KU lose to in the 57 championship? You either looked it up. Or you know it because you eat, sleep, and breathe Kansas basketball. And that's what we're getting to, man. That's what we're getting to. I love our competitors. This field is so strong. It is not easy. There's no way to cakewalk into the Elite Eight 
or the uh, even to the Sizzling Sixteen, we've yeah. had people lose in the second round who are great competitors. I know I'm not supposed to call it the Elite Eight because it's not the called great the Elite Eight, man. Come on, the Great Eight and the Fabulous Four. There we go. Six more matchups coming up this week in RCST trivia. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. It's Rock Chuck Sports Talk.